It don't matter what I try I just can't win and I don't know why There's a fork in every road I pick the wrong one and then I go American loser, yes I am Disenfranchised from everything well, I fall up and I fall down Hey folks, it's KP Burke. Welcome back to another episode of American Loser. It's going to be audio only this week, so you're not missing anything on YouTube. You're not missing anything over on the Patreon, although we do love you folks there at the Founding Losers, where for as little as $3 a month, you can go ahead and get uh, exclusive content here. We're moving, adding more stuff onto that, actually. So I do want to make sure that you guys know that we are always thinking about you because the show stops when you guys stop. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) That's a a definite relationship there that... <laughs> it takes green to go green. Unfortunately, yes, but we are here uh, over at the Red Bank Studio, and again, we're on a Sunday right now. I'm wearing sweatpants, so uh, we're going to make this fast. Um, you guys but, are wearing pants? Um, it's a <laughs> <laughs> the gentleman behind uh, the ones and twos today. You guys know that voice. It's not our big Kahuna, okay? It is our, however, it is a star musician of a band recently featured in Kevin Smith's Clerks Three. The band is called Serious Matters. New Jersey's own Chris Mad. How are you, pal? I am so glad to be here. Everything's doing fantastic, and I love having you guys in the studio. Well, you gave up your Sunday for us, too, so we appreciate that. We appreciate Ming over to Shared Universe for taking care of us. So we're going to bang through this one real quickly. And uh, by the way, i got to introduce uh, myself. I'm KP Burke. Like I said, you guys already know the show. It's called American Loser. We put the spotlight firmly on second place. With me, as always, is my Delph of a dad, Lawrence Patrick. Say hello to the people. Hey, people. How are we doing today on this fine and wonderful Sunday? There you go. Now he sounds better, too. We won't say what happened beforehand. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> it, wasn't <laughs> it wasn't his fault. With But uh, I'll tell you what. We have a, a guest who I consider a friend of mine. Okay. Um, and then also uh, happens to be engaged to our sound engineer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Paige, I want to say thank you for coming on to the show. You've hung out a few times before. You know what we do over here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be like here with you guys today. So Well, you guys had a very fun show you brought me on. Uh, I think it was called Ghosted. Yes. <laughs> so that was about all sorts of ghost stuff. And by the way, it's Halloween's over, folks. We're not going to scare you yeah, guys anymore with weird Telly Savalas ghost stories. This but... is November now, so <laughs> yeah, it's turkeys kind of move and past. Christmas trees. Let's they can go. find uh, they can still find Ghosted though if they wanted to. Yeah, Ghosted with Chris and Paige. It's on every platform, social media. Um, we haven't updated at all. We have the next. Yeah, we have it. We just we have the episode. It. Yeah, we just haven't released it yet. We'll be coming back soon, though. Yeah, just go listen yeah. to the KP Burke episode of that show, and uh, <laughs> you know, continue it. this weird bump that I'm on right now. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of bumps, though, the reason why we are here right now on a Sunday is number one, the Giants are on a bye week, so I can get away with it, and then number two is that unfortunately on Wednesday, or fortunately, I should say, yeah, well, that's not unfortunate. I get to uh, fly down. I'm still trying to make it work here uh, for a city spot that night. We'll see what happens, but Wednesday I'm flying down on uh, Thursday, the tenth. Uh, you guys will hear me on the uh, Mike Calta show. Uh, the literally the, the radio legend of Tampa is bringing me on as a guest. He's been a great friend and a big fan of the show too. So really? I'm excited about that part. The reason he's bringing me on is so that I can promote my shows, which are going to be Thursday the 10th, Friday the 11th, uh, Saturday the 12th, and I'm going to be uh, featuring for uh, uh, a gentleman down there whose name is escaping me. This is terrible. 
Josh Adam Myers, actually. <laughs> wow. Yep, cool well, I don't know, Josh. We're not. Um, uh, I, I assume we'll get along great. I, I, I like his work. I think he's a funny guy. Um, but he's from the goddamn Comedy Jam. He's a cool dude. So I'm going to be featuring for him all week. And uh, I think Karen Fian's going to be down there as well, too. So if you're comedy fans, those are some of the names that you guys know. Um, going to be a fun time. I love Side Splitters. That's one of my favorite clubs in the entire country. Uh, BT, who runs the place, just does a phenomenal job. And because of that, he's also letting me uh, promote that I'm going to be headlining there again on Sunday, the 13th over at their Wesley Chapel room. So I'm excited about that. It's fun getting these weird headliner dates coming in. So yeah. What the so, hell? We're taking KP cross country? There you we're go. trying, man. We're trying. The road? <laughs> uh, they don't know it. Uh, they're actually one of the first clubs that ever headlined me. They headlined me on a, a Sunday because um, the other headliner didn't want to do it. So, <laughs> it's all right. Whatever like, the hey, reason. <laughs> hey, feature, you can do 15 extra minutes, right? Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have a name, sir. <laughs> Your name is Feature Act. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, before we get into this one, I just want to promote that date real quick. And then also I've got a couple other things going on that are exciting here. Um, I also will be headlining, it looks like, uh, on Friday, December 9th. I am headlining Laugh It Up in Poughkeepsie. And uh, that's going to be a fun one. That's a great club up there. They do a great job. Poughkeepsie's a weird, fun, wild town. A lot of history up there, yeah, too. It is. I get a mm -hmm. kick out of them. I'm headlining that one. And guys, by the way, same thing goes for if you want to come out and see me. If you don't come see me when I'm in your town and say, hey, I'm going to catch you the next time. Chris, you're a musician. There's probably not going to be a next time. Who knows? Who knows what will happen in three months from now? Uh-oh. I message bands all the time and like, hey, I've got a date in April. You guys want to hop on? They're like, who knows if we'll be in a band by then? <laughs> Terrifying. Just message us in January. <laughs> oh, Chris is making eye contact with, by the way, his fiance. Okay. So lots going on over here. <laughs> I'm just making sure. But uh Anyway, so do me a favor. Listen to Ghosted. Come see me do stand-up live. Keep supporting the show. If you like the show and you're enjoying it, if you can throw us three bucks, just do it the one time. Just the one time. Buy us a cup of coffee. Um, buy Chris, actually, a cup of coffee. That was what our cost was here today. Mm -hmm. And by the way, my last plug of the show before we get into a wonderful topic, December 10th, I'll be headlining the Dojo in Morris Plains uh, in uh, New Jersey. It's uh, upstairs from Tiff's. It's a great club run by Mike Romanelli. He's one of the great guys in comedy. And also uh, happens to be co-owned by Sam Tripoli, who's yeah, insane. He's, but I love him. He's he's my Armenian brother. So uh, <laughs> what are you gonna do? Um, so we're gonna dive right in on a topic here. But before we do that, um, we did a topic on. So this topic's gonna cover one of the first kind of. Um, I'm gonna say I don't want to call her loose because that's not right. But she's the first um, kind of uh, laid back, outspoken uh, modern woman to come through Washington D.C. Is that fair to say, LP? Yeah, she didn't fit the, the norm of uh, what a woman's place was supposed to be of, of the times, if you will. That, so, uh, it, interestingly enough, it harkens back to, and this is why I love doing this show, it harkens back to um, Alice Roosevelt, who is the daughter of uh, Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt. That's his middle <laughs> right, name, right? As, uh, as you guys know. And um, Paige told us something very, very interesting right before we started recording, and we, we can't not put this on the air. No, we have to put it out there. I was excited to tell you guys. I... My family did their whole like genealogy, whatever, trace our roots back, and I am cousin seven times removed from Teddy Roosevelt, which means Alice is also my cousin. So like, hi, what's up? <laughs> wow. And like, you knew the hello. quote too. You knew the great quote too oh, about yeah, from Teddy. Yeah, Teddy was like, I can either be the president of this country or I can control Alice. You have to pick one. So like, <laughs> if that gives you any insight on my family, that that I feel like that kind of runs through all of us at this point. You can either do your actual job or you can try to control one of us. <laughs> there's too much crazy. Same blood is cursing through your veins mm -hmm. as uh, Alice Roosevelt. Right? Well, we're happy to have you on the show here then, too, uh, in addition to just the fact that you're our friend. But um, 
we brought you in blind on purpose here. Yes. Because <laughs> and we like yeah. to do this. Sometimes we, a Kahuna actually has never known a topic before. He oh. prefers not to. And sometimes that's why we get those beautiful childlike answers from him where he just goes, he mm-hmm. like, what's like, well, what was the president during the Revolutionary War? And he goes, um, George, uh, 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 and hang on, hang, why are you doing this to me, KP? <laughs> yeah. I I relate. I'd be like, oh no, on the spot. But I I, I like it because then you really do get the gen like the genuine reaction because I don't know what we're talking that, about. Oh, that's I what we want know. from you today. So it's woo. A... <laughs> let's do this thing. It's going to be this. good. By the way, Kahuna is also not here because he's out directing one of his independent short films. We're very proud of you, Christian. Yeah. We love oh, you. So proud. So. Cannot wait. <laughs> now uh, that that being said, all disclaimers aside, everybody knows the gist here. It's political season right now. Can't run away from these ads. Yeah. We're not a political show. We're never going to be. However, history is politics just 30 years removed from the event. (laughs) So uh, you cannot ignore the events of history that are leading up to the event before it kicks off what usually winds up being a bigger event. So something as simple as thinking your divorce went through and moving to a new place with your new husband could turn into a bit of a scandal a couple of years later. So we're going to cover today what was perhaps the biggest for its time, of course, because obviously, uh, you know, Bill Clinton went ahead and did some stuff. And uh, there's we got time to find out what the, the you know, the, the, the previous uh, office holder and, and current office holder have. And that's why I think um, I won't go on a diatribe here, but I think we go back and forth. We have a president that fucks too much. And then we have a pre- the next president that we put in. We're like, listen, let's get a guy who fucks a little less. OK. <laughs> Like, hey, we, we got swings yeah, yeah. Listen, <laughs> one end to the other. We got we got Eisenhower. I think he's got all of his fucking done. All right. And then we go into JFK. He's fucking everything that moves. And we're like, listen, let's get Nixon in here. He fucks a little less. Right. And then moving. And then it leads all the way up to listen, Clinton's fucking everything that moves. All right. Boom. George Bush at least seems to have gotten it out of his system already. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we go to uh, Donald Trump, who, who definitely fucks too much. OK. And fucked too much uh, during his entire life. And uh, and then now we went to Joe Biden, who I think without medication can't fuck. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but again, we're uh, we're Does not a. Mean you and him have one thing in common. That's a, <laughs> if I ever go up to a gas station and I just hear like, a, "Come on, man!" <laughs> oh, wait, other fun fact: Bi- where Biden, like his family, comes from in Ireland is where my family comes from in Ireland. County, Ma- <laughs> County, County, County Mayo. Mayo. Yeah. Okay. So mm. that's another little fun political little tidbit conspiracy presidents why am i related to everyone (laughs) phrase it back me and joe cousin joe cousin joe chris is starting to realize too that he's marrying into royalty Mm -hmm. yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) you bet well i'll tell you what here uh it's um i'm not even gonna explain what next week's episode is going to be about but we kind of discovered why there's a two-party system and it, it's very complicated, but there is one inciting event that kind of leads to why we have a modern two-party system because everybody always bitches about how it's just a two-party system. Next week, we're going to cover the um, literal conspiracy and the undermining of an election that happens because, guys, it's never happened before. It's never, <laughs> yeah. ever, oh, ever. Oh. No, 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 no. Every election no. most safe and secure in American it history. It wasn't something that was blown up by the media or, yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> we didn't get killed. Uh, I'm sorry. We didn't get yeah. Edgar Allan Poe killed uh, in order yeah. to ensure. And our, and our timeline for this week's episode is, you know, the really the earlier days of, of our uh, republic and uh, – you know, we were trying shit out. You know, yeah. let's let's have an election and vote somebody in president, and whoever comes in second is going to be the vice president. Well, that didn't work out so swell because now you got two two rivals trying to work together after the election. Yes, yeah, yeah, odd that, couples. So that didn't work out. So then we try to, 
you know, kind of morphed into a, a two-party system with the with the Federalists and uh, the Whigs and all, all those early political parties. And uh, you guys don't miss the Whigs. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what you're leading up to, LP, is that before Teddy Motherfucking Roosevelt could become the Captain Chaos of American politics, um, there's a certain fellow named Old Hickory, uh, who go, you know, his proper name being. Oh, Mr. Andrew uh, Jackson, old Andrew, old Hickory Jackson. Now he's a, a controversial guy here. Stonewall himself. That's no, no, uh, no, that's, no, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, Christian, I'm coming. To you. <laughs> uh, when Never I love Jackson, but yeah. <laughs> um, so no, uh, Andrew Jackson, fascinating guy here. He's on your twenty dollar bill. Uh, may, might be removed because he's obviously his presidency is plagued with uh, plagued with controversies. But by the way, all of them are. So I don't right. know right. why we're setting a new standard here. But uh, depending on what policy or angle at what time frame you're looking at Andrew Jackson, he's either Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Jabba the Hutt, Emperor Palpatine, or a Jawa. All right, there's no way to tell. All right, um, but for lack of a better term, Andrew Jackson can sometimes be a little bit of an Andrew Jackson, if you catch the drift over here. So uh, after winning national hero status with his victories in the War of 1812. Yeah, I mean, a battle in New Orleans. That was, uh, that was his big claim to fame, right? That he whooped the, whooped the British. Uh, happened to be at, or the war was already over, but that was, uh, that was another point. You know, news didn't travel quite so fast back then. So, yeah. but anyhow, we kicked them. Twitter. We kicked them Brits. It was we a did. post-war spanking. That's it was. Right. Uh, literally, the, the information had not yet reached them. That's uh, that's the, the times we're living. So don't take for granted right now that uh, I'm recording something on a Sunday in Red Bank, and you can listen to it whenever you want. Okay? Um, it's Appreciate the weird technology that we have. There's so much bad shit that goes with it. But you can also stop a potential battle of New Orleans if you had it back then. So... Um, anyway, he becomes a national hero, if you will, because of this. And uh, there's this idea that he also comes from a very humble background. Prior to this, almost all the uh, presidents were wealthy landowners, a lot of lawyers, a lot of landowners. You know, some of them pretty cool, some of them pretty cool, some of them rather boring. Um, but everybody seemed to be men of principle here. But they all came from relatively comfortable backgrounds. Now, Andrew Jackson was born in a log cabin. There's some adjusting for that. Um, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> humble, humble background and uh, kind of a self-made guy, entered the military, did well for himself in the military, a big you know, war hero now from the, from the Battle of New Orleans. That was a, a huge victory for, for us. And uh, he's probably the most, one of the most popular guys in the United States at, at this particular point in time. So you know, very similar, I, I think, too, to Eisenhower. Eisenhower came back from the Second World War, and he was a big, you know, war hero. And hey, let's run this guy for, <laughs> let's run this guy up for president. And I think they did the same thing with uh, with Andy Jackson. So we're going to explore an interesting idea here, and I'm going to ask uh, Paige real quick what you think. Uh, are you familiar with the term, and what would you think the term would mean of president in waiting? Isn't I mean, it's not just someone who's just I would think it's just someone who's literally just like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to get in there. I'm going to take over once who's ever in charge is out. Of exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's a uh, president waiting is somebody that everybody knows um, is potentially going to be the next president uh, after that. Like it was sometimes elections completely take you by surprise. But there's a lot of times where you're like, all right. So they would always say this too. Um, Ronald Reagan gave a speech when Barry Goldwater was running for um president and he stole um the speech like I, he didn't steal the speech right his speech stole the entire event i believe it was um the the gop uh, rally and um everybody sat there and like i don't know if goldwater's gonna do it but this reagan guy's about to do it 
And then yeah. there was a lot of people who were feeling that way about Obama when he was making a, a, a couple of speeches leading up to other people's elections. So you can always kind of feel the energy moving towards somebody here. And it's all behind Andrew Jackson at this time. And of course, that's going to lead to one of the first sex scandals in American history, folks. Let's go. Oh, man, let's go. <laughs> yeah, right. We're going to start somewhere. Got to start somewhere. It's, uh, it's, it, and obviously, it's almost tame now by comparison here, but it is known as the Petticoat Affair, which, like all good stories about the downfall of any man from power, involves a very, very pretty woman. Accurate. <laughs> Enter um, Margaret Peggy O'Neill. Mrs. Eaton, if you nasty. Uh, <laughs> Her father owns a boarding house that will serve as a hub of nightlife in early Washington, D.C. So naturally, his daughter Peggy is going to be involved in the family business, which is essentially a bar. Right? Imagine a bar and all the politicos are going to go down there. And, and boarding house, too. I think that's a— You can stay a, there. Good point. That's a, that's a good point to, uh, to keep in here. And, and uh, Mr. O'Neill had um, you know, a number of kids, and they all helped out with this boarding house in Washington— and at this particular point in, in uh, history, in the timeline, there was a lot of uh, politicos that weren't spending or not sending their entire family to Washington to serve out their term. So you would take a room in the boarding house or whatever, that you were, you were a part-time resident, if you will. And then when you're not doing politics, you went back home to the, to the wife and kids uh, back home in whatever state you might be representing. But... Uh, um, Mr. O'Neill's uh, boarding house um, uh, and bar, saloon, whatever you want to call it, um, was an extremely popular place. And there was a lot of political heavy hitters that were frequenting the place as long as well as uh, military uh, personnel, you know, officers within the military. So, I mean, it was uh, it was a hub of uh, of uh, who's who in Washington at the time. So interestingly enough, it would be prior to. We can't prove or disprove this, but the idea of a lobbyist, um, that term supposedly comes from there was a lobby in a hotel that President Grant used to smoke cigars and drink brandy at. And if you wanted to go meet with the president, you would make sure you hung out in the lobby because, oh, he's going to show up any minute now. And so you could lobby your cause by being in the lobby. Um, but anyway, that's a point of some contention here. However, uh, as my father stated, you got this popular nightclub, if you will. All right. <laughs> it was the, the Franklin House was the name of the place. Yeah, you the got Franklin. Studio 54. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, anyway uh, – like you said, all the kids are working in there. But again, we're focusing in on Peggy O'Neill here because Peggy, um, interestingly enough, she happens to be very, very pretty. She's also very, very smart. She also plays the piano. She also speaks French. She's what the modern parlance would refer to as a smoke show. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So yeah. this is, a well-rounded woman. She, uh, <laughs> well-appointed woman yeah. as well from uh, what reports uh, of the times were. There, I mean, there was a lot of people that were taking – uh, definite interest in uh, Miss Peggy. Got the, she is uh, she's a hottie, no doubt. <laughs> Dad, just say dime piece so I can hear you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now, uh, although not proven to be morally loose. Now, here's the whole thing. If you're a pretty girl and you're getting a lot of attention paid to you, but you're not because uh, and I, I'm just going back to my own uh, thoughts in high school. There were some very pretty girls that guys were fawning over all the time. Mm -hmm justifiably so and then they would have a boyfriend or something like that and you're like you just dreamed like i mean i wish i wish i was you know the the, the boyfriend instead you know um then there were other girls that were like all right she's kind of cute but she's easy and she gets around a little bit and those were the girls that all the hatred fell upon right so it was uh, that was the kind of that's the difference between uh girls wanting to be britney spears because she's so pretty and she deserves the attention versus people like well pamela anderson's just a whore <laughs> so 
that was kind of the uh, and, and maybe that's a poor cultural pull. I don't know. But um, I'll say this. We can't prove that Peggy was morally loose, but she did suffer uh, and also partially bring upon herself because she liked to talk to men at the bar, which why wouldn't you, by the way, if you're in the bar and it's your father's bar? Yeah. Uh, right, and if you're working as a waitress, are you going to be a little flirtatious, if you will, with the customers? It's going to bring him better tips, right? <laughs> I don't know. Every time I'm in Hooters, these girls just <laughs> yeah, right, fall over go. me. <laughs> and I'm like, how many times did you see Escape from Jacksonville? Or is that where they noticed me from? <laughs> Hang on. Do you listen to American Loser? Well, that's why the girls are wearing pigtails now while serving. That's right. They get more tips. You get. If a, it's statistically, they're saying that like if a girl wears pigtails while she's a waitress, she'll wind up getting more tips. Really? Like pigtails, like, like a child? yeah, like like childhood, your hair up, like just to become more attractive and give that like Oof, that young thing. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That's a, like a current thing, like a trend on TikTok that's happening now. It's like, oh, I'm a server. Let me go put on my pigtails. See how much I make tonight. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a thing. Oh, okay. I know. <laughs> but uh, there was a little violence at the end of that. I know, by the way, too. An undertone of, of you, you better be okay, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, so guys are falling in love with Peggy on the regular, uh, maybe because she's a little flirtatious, maybe because she's, um, uh, you know, she's one of those, um, again, she's trying to make sure that the business is good here. Of course. She's trying to uh, also, maybe she's having a little bit of fun with it. She's a gorgeous woman, and she's also a worldly woman, too. She knows things. She has good conversation. And that's a bit of a turn on from the normal, like, I just know a country girl that churns butter. That's it. That's all she does. <laughs> so anyway, she winds up falling in love with um, a young army officer. And there are many suitors for Peggy here. But Peggy's father actually puts an end to that and decides he's going to get his little girl hitched up with a man with a respectable government job. His name is not Justin, but John Timberlake. Oh. All right. Yeah, and prior to Mr. Timberlake uh, entering the picture, too, uh, there was rumors going about that uh, Miss Peggy was not once but twice caught in an attempt to elope with somebody else. So even as a young teenager, uh, um, there was one report. Now, whether this is you know just vicious rumor mill or what, but as she's climbing out the window um, to elope with uh, whatever suitor was of the du jour, if you will, she knocks over a flower pot and then... Uh, Papa O'Neill uh, catches her in in the act and drags her back in through the window and like uh, puts the puts the kibosh on the whole elopement Ooh. scandal. So no, we got to make money off your marriage. Get back <laughs> right, in here. Right, right. The Benny Hill theme song plays the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, John Timberlake is technically a man with a government job and probably can say he was a what's known as a purser for the United States Navy. So um, he had a. a Again, it's a government job. He's got some military service under his belt, too. However, he is also known to be a, a wild drunk, and he is <laughs> yeah. heavily in debt. And he is also 39 years old when he marries uh, literally the, the belle of uh, the Franklin Hotel here, uh, Peggy, who is 17 at the time. She's marrying grandpa at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and I she's the prom a... queen and she just got to marry uh, a gym coach, you know? Yeah. I thought oh. it was interesting too, because you said purser for the Navy. He was a purser for the Navy, but you may want to explain what a purser is, right? That's the finance guy on, on board ship, right? Which is amusing because he's also heavily in debt. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's, he's got... really great at giving advice, just not taking his own. <laughs> right, right, right. So he's in all kinds of financial straits himself. And uh, uh, and yet that's his that's his job for the Navy. But, you know, lessons learned, I guess, or not taken or whatever. Lessons not learned is an interesting way to phrase that. I'll accept that there's a book about the military uh, uh, called that very title. Um, 
Timberlake's debts are crippling, and uh, some of it, again, is accrued uh, via his naval service here. Luckily, luckily, somebody comes along to bail them out. Okay, I'm here to help. I'm from the government. I'm here to help. Should terrify the shit out of anybody, right? I think that was another Reagan quote. (laughs) Uh, Reagan was a great quote and then some questionable policy. So I I quote him often because it was great quotes, but it's not it's not a flag waving for uh, Reagan here. Um, My favorite president is uh, Andrew. I'm sorry. Whoa. Teddy. (laughs) Theodore. Yeah, well, Teddy. Teddy motherfucking Roosevelt. Teddy's an insane <laughs> yeah. person. That we're just fans of him because he is chaos. It's uh, you know, it's not yeah. Coolidge. You're not gonna keep it cool. Cal- Coolidge. Cal- <laughs> Coolidge. Uh, by the way, what a cool guy though. He goes, he goes. I serve one term. They said you're running again. He goes, Nah, I did it all. I'm done. Yeah. What do you need? No, yep. Done. And I've told the story a hundred times, and I'll say it real fast, just because I know that uh, Paige will get a kick out of it. He was infamously silent, Calvin Coolidge. And at a dinner party, a very pretty girl went up to him at dinner. And I was sitting next to him during the dinner party, and she goes, I have a bet with my friends tonight that I can uh, get you to say more than three words. What do you say to that, President Coolidge? And he goes, you lose. Love, love. That's the energy we need to keep. I'm here for it. Yes. Uh, But uh, Timberlake's debts are crippling. And again, luckily, someone's about to come along here that can help. Okay. Luckily, the uh, the Timberlakes – and by the way, there's no signs. That there's really – I couldn't find anything that um, he was abusive to, to Peggy or anything like that. But it is a total mismatch that this older man who's a drunk in financial debt is married to you know one of the, the hottest girls in, in D.C., a socialite. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So anyway, they meet a fellow by the name of John Eaton. And uh, John Eaton is a widower, uh, happens to be a wealthy one. He's working in politics. They have uh, ideas that there's some – you know, ideas around him of what can this guy become? We're not quite sure, right? Where's the ceiling for him is what they're trying to figure out at the time. And he's also a longtime friend of what America considers the obvious president-in-waiting, Andrew Chaos Jackson. So, Yeah, and then kind of putting this into a full circle type of a thing too. Uh, John Eaton is Tennessee's senior senator. And when Andy Jackson first gets voted in as Tennessee's junior senator, Eaton makes the suggestion that, you know, when we're in Washington, I got a great place for you to stay. We're going to go to the Franklin House. (laughs) (laughs) They've got, you know, it's a very comfortable. It it wasn't a a dive. It was, you know, very plush, well-appointed and very attractive uh, wait staff (laughs) at the at the Franklin House. And that's where Jackson first got to meet uh, Miss Peggy. And, you know, yeah, she's a How do you not notice? Yeah. She's, uh, she's playing the piano. She speaks French. She's well-educated, um, you know, and being raised in her father's uh, boarding house. Uh, she is very politically astute with all the conversations that's going around in the in the boarding house type of thing with you all these heavy fun, hitters. Just to, uh, I don't want to interrupt here, but uh, well, something that would be kind of fun too. Chris, if you don't mind, uh, just in the background while we're, we're setting all this up. Absolutely. Uh, I'm curious because I want Paige to tell us uh, maybe an actress comparison or a celebrity comparison to what you would think there are some good-looking pictures of young Peggy Eaton. So if you search, you, so if you guys could do that in the background here, while well, a piece setting the stage for us, because this story's about to get pretty wild, and I want you to know why people are making these um, over-the-top efforts just to try to get a little bit of alone time with this girl. So that one right there in the look uh, at that. Yeah, so she's pretty. Think about that gorgeous. for a second. Whenever you think of uh, the the jump you want to make on that one, you let us know. But here she is, uh, a young, gorgeous girl working in the staff here. Eaton gets introduced to her, like you were saying. 
And uh, and it doesn't always last, folks. It doesn't always last. Uh, Chris Madge just brought up a photo of her in her uh, older age, which c- concludes that she does live through this story, which is good. Nineties, right. I'm assuming. That's uh, uh, yeah. Peggy Eaton. I mean, uh, it was she was described as having uh, dark hair and blue eyes, and that kind of prompted me to a. There's a song, The Galloway Girl, that her, you know, what's a fella, I ask you, friend, what's a fella to do? Her hair was black and her eyes were blue. I mean, <laughs> and you were just lost in uh, in her, that uh, she was definitely a, a good-looking woman and well-educated for the time. And as, as you said, Kev, she spoke French, played the piano, so she was the, she was the whole package. Now, Eaton is able to help Timberlake out a little bit. So uh, he, he knows, he goes, ah, you know, these are nice people over here. Let me see what I can do for you guys. He gets introduced. Ah, oh, you know, Timberlake's fault. He's down on his luck over here. Cry me a river. What are you going to do? Um, Eaton's able to help Timberlake out. He gets him some money via the government. He also personally pays off some of Timberlake's debts himself. And we, he will even help get Mr. Timberlake a sweet new position. Although, get this, Chris. It's going to require that he is out of town a lot. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, man. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you're going to be out of D.C. for a little while here. It's a great gig. It's a great gig. But don't worry. I mean, I'll I'll hang out. I'll come by. I'll check on Peggy. We'll see how she's doing. Take care of her. And keep thinking. Whenever you're ready, you jump in with who you think she might look like because she's a pretty lady right there. In my mind, to have her be – and by the way, uh, in, in a movie made about her life, she's played by Joan Crawford. Oh, a young Joan Crawford. Oh, so okay. In my mind, if you made this Anne Hathaway, um, <gasps> yeah, Anne Anne Hathaway is a great choice. That's, all right, if you think of another one, you jump in immediately. <laughs> I mean, just looking, ugh, she has striking features. Like her, like that painting of her. She like just you can see she has big, beautiful eyes. Her hair's dark and long and beautiful. And she's just and like, down. Yeah, and down, which is like, you don't see that a lot. No pigtails there. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe like, I'm trying to think of like a badass lady who could be of, of today who would take on this role really well. I would maybe think like Elizabeth Gillies, maybe. Love Liz Gillies. Uh-oh. I'm going to have to ask Chris to Google that one now, too. <laughs> Absolutely. In the meantime, while he's bringing that one up here, it is interesting that um, – this guy Eaton's able to come in now and help this family out. Okay, he's helping them out. Um, and again, it this sounds like a good friend is coming to your aid. Until where are you? And by the way, very pretty girl here, Liz Gillies. Damn. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, don't show my father how to spell that. All right. <laughs> <Oof>. But <laughs> there's your Galway girl, by yeah, the way. Yeah, absolutely. Her hair's black and her eyes are. I look like either blue or green. So uh, excellent Whatever choice. It is, it's working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> excellent choice. Babe. She also marries old. <laughs> Interesting. Uh-oh, who's she married to? Uh, Do this we... guy's like 38, I think, 39, maybe. Yeah, he, 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 she also marries old. KP, aren't you 35? <laughs> Isn't your life over? <laughs> oh, my God, KP, you're so old. <laughs> she's from, oh, she's from Jersey, too? Shit, that takes her down a peg. Anyway, um, <laughs> now, a very, very pivotal uh, year in this story here is going to be, uh, takes place in 1828. But before I get into that, man, I have to mention this. So he's got this government job now for uh, this guy. And Timberlake does. Yes. Right. Well, Eaton gets the job for Timberlake. And obviously there, um, there's rumors already saying like, hey, maybe Eaton's got an eye. He's spending a lot of time talking to her here. Yeah, they um, go way back. I mean, Eaton was visiting uh, the Franklin Hotel for many, many years now, but knew of Peggy, knew of Timberlake. And now, you know, Timberlake is undergoing some financial difficulties. Eaton bails him out. Uh, Eaton is still a senator. So there was some speculation that, you know, he had some influence within the, the Navy that although he's helping this guy out, he's bailing him out financially. 
that young naval uh, purser is going to have to serve some time, I believe, overseas. I think they they shipped them off to the Mediterranean. So bye bye. <laughs> there's a little bit of it that's the opposite of the story of Revenge with Kevin Costner. If you guys ever saw that yeah. movie, so it, it's a little bit in there, but. Um, Again, the year's going to be 1828 now. And by the way, these rumor mills are swirling because all this story is taking place in the swamp, D.C. It is the swamp. You can attribute that to whoever you want to attribute it. It's the swamp for a reason. Number one, because it's a fucking swamp. <laughs> Number two, all the creatures live there. It's a rumor mill. It's a terrible place. It eats people alive with good intentions and spits them back out. So now 1828, again, pivotal year here because in April of 1828, John Timberlake dies while away on government duty. Meanwhile, in March, just the month prior, the first presidential term of Andrew Jackson is about to get underway. So he will immediately name his longtime friend, John Eaton, as Secretary of War. So that's going to be a cabinet position. That's a pretty that, – that's, that's up there. It's not Secretary of State. It's just underneath, though. So, again, Eaton gets that position. The husband dies. The guy the swamp thinks is banging her while he's away. The guy who might have orchestrated the entire thing just so he could court the married pretty little thing known as Peggy just got a very high position in the cabinet of the presidency. And then a month later, the apple of his eyes, husband, mysteriously drops dead. Some claim suicide via shame. Later proven to be pneumonia, by the way. So, huh. yeah, of oh, no conspiracies. There, <laughs> conspiracies. Yeah, we, it's all brand new. It started with Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, Timberlake dies of uh, some pulmonary, pulmonary uh, heart kind of a thing. But, of course, the rumor mills weren't going to have that. that oh, no. What would be better than a heart attack is uh, this guy died of shame because he knew that his wife was, you know, not being uh, true to him. And uh, she was uh, getting getting around town a little bit, if you will. And he just committed suicide. Tom Hanks eats children. <laughs> <laughs> So in order to give you what we're going to refer to from now on as the Cianci recap, my great friend Anthony Cianci, he did this great thing during the show one time. He just goes, he goes, stop, wait a minute. And then he goes, boom, and just goes down all the points that we mentioned here. This is going to be known as the Cianci recap moving forward. <laughs> so listeners, if you're confused by what you heard so far, the Cianci recap is as follows. Peggy is hot. Peggy gets married to an old drunk with money problems. Along comes a handsome man with money and connections and an eye for Peggy. Handsome man, a.k.a. Eaton, solves their problems, but possibly in a self-serving way. Peggy's husband dies just after Eaton becomes one of the most powerful men in the new Andrew Jackson administration. Now, nine months. I'm going to ask you this one. All right, let me ask you this one. I'm not going to get too personal on here, but it was um, I tried to end things with my ex as amicably as possible when me and her split. And the turning of the tide in public opinion of maybe it wasn't so amicable <laughs> – was uh, I think it was less than two months or something like that. Uh, there was a new guy in her profile picture and we were still a lot of Facebook friends and stuff like that. And I had friends of hers even tell me uh, that was too soon. So let's say, let's say tragically, okay, you two young kids who are in love are going to get married. Okay. And let's say uh, Chris dies. Okay. Hi, Dukes. I'm so sorry. Shame. R.I.P. Would you think... Going well last, <laughs> would you think, Paige, that people might say something if you got married to someone else within nine months of Chris's death? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. I would have something to say. I'd be like, what am I doing? Oh, no. Yeah, no. You got to you gotta heal from that, baby. Even Fully if they married? weren't... Fully married. I'm talking the wedding ceremony and everything within nine months of the death of her husband. 
Oof. Is that even long enough to get an annulment? That's, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why it was another thing. That there was already rumors. And first of all, everybody hates on a pretty girl that gets all the attention from the boys, especially if mm-hmm. she's playing it up a little bit like a server or bartender is known to do. Um, but uh, anyway, she does get married within the nine months. And the D.C. culture is not real big on that. They were already afraid of – they were like, this tavern girl is a problem. Now uh, she just married the secretary of war to the president's cabinet – so she's moving up societally. She's jumping levels on the video game out here. Yeah, she's climbing the ladder. And her rep was not all that great with some of the other females around Washington to begin with. Climbing that ladder in heels, baby. She's doing it. She's doing it. <laughs> I told you she was going to be great for the show. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> well, the women of D.C., they're going to look at her um, as a little bit of an – not necessarily a harlot, but she's a little too outspoken for sure. Um, she's definitely not um, doing things the classy way. She's not um, a respectable lady. You can't bring her out for society. Well, well-behaved women never make history, so. It is true, and uh, unfortunately, this history is a sex scandal. <laughs> <laughs> but she still made history, baby. Yeah, <laughs> she was just trying to fix the hysteria she was suffering from. That's a... <laughs> Come on. Well, uh, she's a little bit scandalous over here, and the women of D.C., they're looking at her. They, 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 do, um, uh, they do look down on her. For certain. Yeah, I mean, she had a bad rep to, to begin with, and she was married to Timberlake, and then it was rumored that Eaton and she were, you know, fooling around while uh, Timberlake was away, and then Timberlake dies, and now the rumor mill is that he died of, of shame, that he committed suicide because he just couldn't face the fact that his wife is, you know, um, skipping out on him. And then, uh, then Eaton is appointed to uh, secretary, he's a cabinet member of Jackson's uh, cabinet. And now she is, you know, obviously palling around with with Eaton. So, you know, is she a social climber or whatever? So in the the prim and proper ladies of the Jackson administration were not having having Miss Peggy as part of their uh, clique, if you will. So they the, wanted none of that. The it's mean girls, cataclysmic. Were, the mean girls were, were ganging up on her for sure. Which Where, leads us to a great question. Us. They're just upset that Peggy is getting eaten. Uh, <laughs> oh. oh. Andrew Dice mad over there. <laughs> <laughs> Bada boom. Hey, little Miss Muffet. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll tell you what, and I think I think Paige is going to agree with me on this one. Uh, men can be mean and rude to women, for sure. But um, there is nothing worse than when a group of women gang up to be to, – because I've got I, – I live with um, uh, two female roommates who are wonderful people. Um, and when a girl that I went out on a, a couple dates with when it didn't work out, I started hearing some of the most visceral – uh, <laughs> comments about like, well, look at her stupid. This is the, what she thinks she's fooling with that. That's a, what a dumb place to put. You know, just tearing apart her features to, in an attempt to make me feel better. And I was like, we don't need sacrifice here. <laughs> okay. right. Just, just tell me like, hey, maybe there's someone else out there. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing scarier than a pack of girls all together just being like, mm-hmm. unless. They're drunk in the club in the bathroom. Then they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. <laughs> but out, once you get outside, back into the club, no, they're mean. They're scary. I don't mm. Well, instead of – you said mean girls here earlier. And I'm sorry. Either you or my father brought mean girls and then you said you can't sit with us, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, pretty much that's what's going to happen here by a group known as the Petticoats. Okay? They're ah. going to be referred to as the Petticoats. Okay. Enter – I guess – what you know what? I'm going to go ahead and call her one of the, the villains of the story, if you will. Because – 
I I think um I think people do dumb things when they're in love. I think um uh, people, especially if you have a chance for real love, especially during this time frame when you got set up and sold off essentially um, by your father to this Timberlake guy who, again, maybe was not abusive. There's no signs of that. But now you have a chance with a younger, handsome guy. And it seemed like they had a pretty good marriage, Eaton and uh, 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 Peggy. So we're going to enter our, our – I guess what we're going to call no, – I don't want to call her the Regina George because she's not hot. This is not a pretty lady we're about to talk about. <laughs> her name is Flo Rod, for God's sakes. Yeah, it corrected Not the fluoride, but <laughs> no. fluoride. Yep. Uh, so we're Flo Calhoun, we would call her. Not Florence, Fluoride. Um, fluoride Calhoun, the wife of the vice president, John C. Calhoun. Ah. Now, John C. Calhoun is another Southerner that was very much responsible or helped Andrew Jackson to get into office. He's now vice president uh, Calhoun. But again, we, you know, you're mixing this whole social thing with, um, with Peggy, and you know, the social graces or the social acceptance of the rest of the cabinet members, and politics are are being sprinkled in there along with it because once they got into office, Vice President Calhoun and President Jackson did not always share the same viewpoint, if you will, on some of the things of, of the times tariffs and there's a number of different issues that were big time issues of the day interesting you would say that too next week's episode is going to go back to why we finally had the first real two-party election over here one thing that was weird that had to happen was that john c calhoun was the vice president for the previous administration and was kept on by andrew jackson so this is nuts this is nuts over here um Flo, as we're going to call her, along with many of the other civil ladies of D.C. And again, she is the second lady. And by the way, there's nothing I'm, – I'm, I know there's, there's progress and we're redefining terms and stuff like that and we're experiencing history as it goes. But I laughed my fat little man titties off today <laughs> when I was doing some research and I scrolled over second lady of the United States on Wikipedia and Kamala Harris's husband's picture pops up. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Love so it. it's just there's funny it. stuff, okay? Because that's what happens when you divide by zero, which we like to do a lot of times. <laughs> um, anyhow, uh, Flo is going to lead, um, and again, very powerful position here too. She's not the first lady, and I'm going to get into why there's not really a first lady at this time. Get ready for this one. This is where your rumor mill. This is the trash magazine. This is your National Enquirer shit right here. This is this is where this is the bread and butter page. So jump in Same. when and where you can. I think you're going to love it. Okay. Flo will lead what is known as an anti-Peggy coalition that pretty much blackballs her from D.C. society. So instead of saying you can't sit with us, they're saying, well, we're not going to go visit you at your house. We're going to refuse to be get you. You can, I guess, come around other places, but we're never going to go visit you. You're going to be ostracized from D.C. society, which sounds petty, but it is the large role here of the first lady in D.C. Just to kind of give you an idea of what these positions are supposed to be. This is the second lady of the United States. Mm -hmm. P pretty much, you know, putting the, the scarlet letter on you. Yeah. And uh, but the first lady's job around this time frame was really a hostess for parties and nightlife and events and stuff like right. that here. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and mostly like a social overseer. She's kind of like, uh, welcome. You know, we're having a great time here. Who should we bring out? We're going to have a dinner party. What do you guys want to do? Hostess with the mostest. Got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's and, her job. And Correct. these these women, <laughs> these wives of the cabinet members kind of were like the self-appointed um, leaders of what should be the norm for c correct social etiquette and, and everything else that, 
you know, how can you possibly have the wife of a cabinet member who was a former barmaid and, you know, possibly harlot, you know, <laughs> quote unquote. But, uh, you know, she was not fitting the the the, uh, the mold of the uh, proper uh, lady if by by moral standards or, or even upbringing because, you know, again, she's a, a tavern keeper's daughter. Uh, she's just slinging beers, right? Yeah, it's a, it, imagine, and it's not, uh, okay, this is well before his time, obviously, but our favorite topic we ever covered on the show is Dan Sickles, who used to bring, um, you know, we're talking about, it's scandalous to bring a, uh, a, a barkeep, if you will, a barkeep's daughter uh, into the fold here because she's not part of high society. Dan Sickles used to just bring his hookers with him on trips for the government. <laughs> yeah. There we go. And it's yeah. definitely, there's definitely no, no current, you know, Travel um, companion, so to speak. <laughs> which, by the way, just to echo something current in politics, too. Again, not a political show here, but is it – I still can't believe the story of the guy who's in office still that was sleeping with the Chinese spy. <laughs> yep. So so here's my whole point. People always say, oh, it's just uh, – politics is just too crazy today. It's like, no, it's always been bad. It'll never not be bad. Mm-hmm. We can hope to do better, but that's because we have to be optimists. That's the bottom line. <laughs> that's right. So, hope springs eternal. So they wind up doing this. Now, the reason I say this is because essentially what the role of a first lady would have been, and um, I believe it was Grover Cleveland's wife was considered like the first, like true first lady where she was running things and having, because she was a young, pretty gal. By the way, first episode of the show we ever did, fucking over four years now. There would be a first lady for Andrew Jackson. However, Andrew Jackson's beloved wife, Rachel, Truly, truly the rock of his life here um, had tragically passed away literally days before her husband would become the seventh president of the United States. Yeah, he was president-elect when she died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she knows. She got, I married the right man. My husband's going to do this. It's going to be a huge thing here. Jackson, uh, unfortunately, because of this, is actually going to use uh, – it gets complicated for a second, but it'll make sense. He's going to use his wife's niece, whom he was very close with who I believe married, who he considered his adopted son, if I have that right. Correct me where I'm wrong, LP. Um, but he uses her as the surrogate first lady. So it's not my wife, but here's the woman who's going to be handling those, you know, the duties of hosting the parties and being the, the, the female face of the administration. Yeah, and then the other thing too, I don't know if you got on, get into that a little later on, but what uh, the media, if you will, the Times or the political enemies did to poor Rachel while – uh, yes, Andy we're Jackson. about to get to that. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. It's it's terrible, and it leads back into the thing. So we're doing foreshadowing. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. You're good. So um, anyway, uh, again, the surrogate first lady here is uh, his niece, if you will, or his wife's niece, uh, named Emily Donaldson. And uh, much to Andy Jackson's dismay, you you put this girl you trust that you consider family to you, you know, who I'm going to – you're going to be my surrogate first lady. This is an important position to me. Yeah, his wife dies, so he's got yeah. to have he's got to have somebody to yeah. take the place of uh, his now deceased wife to uh, exactly. handle the social the social norms or expectations of the of the times. And uh she winds up siding with the Calhoun petticoat anti-Peggy junction. With, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, now Andy is many things, and there's play. You want to talk about war crimes? You want to talk about genocide? You want to talk about um, the, the establishing the power of the people's office? There's so much good and bad with him. Like I said, he he's the light. He is the force. He's light and dark at the same time. Um, but one thing that he's not intimidated by is a woman who speaks her mind. And Andy Jackson is very very fond of Peggy. 
Thinks great, but because he doesn't have any, he's got. He comes from a little bit of a richer background than he plays up. He wasn't, you know, a coonskin cap, Davy Crockett type thing, but he was an outdoorsman. He was, uh, you know, uh, he was a rough and tumble guy. Um, first president to ever actually chase down his own attempted assassin, too. By the way, side note. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. Jack, all right. Chase him down. They called him Old Hickory because he carried. Um, uh, uh, he actually beat his assassin with a cane. I believe is the story. Um, Yeah, I read too much as a kid. Um, (laughs) But uh, anyway, the whole point is this. Uh, He likes Peggy. In fact, he's one of the guys that encouraged Eaton to marry her. And he goes, oh, what what are they going to care? Go ahead and get married. You guys are in love and do that. You know, so now he's going to take this issue personally while also acknowledging the professional issues that it's going to be causing within his own cabinet, his own administration. And he's also going to start to notice the beginnings of its use by his enemies as political capital against him. Now, Dad Jackson also couldn't help but be pissed off because of what happened to him when he was trying to run. Well, when he was running for office, again, we're, we're in that whole uh, political party thing kind of a thing. And really, all the candidates for the political office of uh, president at that time were all from the same party. So you had to make a pick from a, you know, from a pile of one <laughs> rather than two piles of, uh, of uh, people. And um, his political enemies... Uh, the political times was just to drag whatever dirt you might bring up on this guy's background. And if you couldn't find anything, make something up and just go with, uh, you know, go with that. Um, And um, his wife, Rachel, was previously married. She was in the process of divorce, thought that the divorce decree had come through. And apparently it did not. It wasn't until like two years later that they found out, well, she wasn't really divorced when Andy Jackson married Rachel. But now, now, now they're going, now they're, you know, we're fast forwarding to him now running for political uh, presidency and they're bringing this stuff up that happened like years ago. But let's, let's just turn that dirt over again and see what uh, might spring up. So, you know, they really lambasted her calling her, you know, well, whatever name you uh, might want to put to that. Bigamist was a term. Bigamist, it, they, yeah. Which would be correct that she was married to multiple men um, or had multiple marriage, which is a nice way back then of saying she belongs to the streets. Um, bit of a uh, – the, the nicest way of saying ho, I think you can come up with. <laughs> right, right. Call them naughty ladies. <laughs> and, uh, right. It's the ladies truth of the but, evening or and again, of the night, right? This mm-hmm. is not even something uh, – a lot of it was unbeknownst to her. And they also moved to the Tennessee Territory, which, again, we're talking about America where uh, – we're talking about the marriage. Okay, we're talking about marriage paperwork here being filed in a time where uh, – and by the way, the guy she ran off and married also fought an entire battle in New Orleans not knowing that in Versailles, I believe it was Versailles. I don't know if it was Versailles. I'm blanking. doesn't matter. Um, the end of the War of 1812 had already been signed off on and agreed upon, but the info didn't get back to him because that's how tough paperwork was to keep track of over here. Okay, We didn't have an internet where you could just get this shit over with. You know, I got a cousin that went to uh, mediation or whatever. I think he was divorced in 90 minutes. You know what I mean? You can do that nowadays. Yeah, there wasn't a, there wasn't a drive-through uh um, drive through divorce, divorce. <laughs> right? Las Vegas kind of a thing, but yeah. So I mean, Rachel filed all the paperwork, but her ex-husband did not, and it was there was that time period where she was technically, you know, married to two men at the same time. Well, they just took that and just smeared her through the thing, and then Andy Jackson later. I mean, now they're going through that whole 
campaign for his uh, first run at, at the presidency, which he wins, and she dies while he's um, president-elect, and at the at the gravesite, you know, he says that you know God is probably going to forgive all these political enemies that dug up all this dirt to Rachel, but I won't. <sighs> Oh, Andy, uh, Andy had a a temper. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Again, the cane was used to whip some people's asses. (laughs) So uh, now, unfortunately here, and by the way, again, just the recurring theme and a great quote, by the way, LP, um, Washington, D.C. for you. It's uh, it's just never changed. Okay, sex scandals. What's going on here? You know, um, should we be concerned about uh you know, <laughs> some of the stuff going on with the current administration and some of the, you should always be concerned. Okay. But there's always, there's also always going to be something. Nobody gets off scot-free. So um, anyway, that's DC for you in a nutshell. But now at this current moment in Washington, DC, Peggy O'Neill, Peggy O'Neill Timberlake, Peggy O'Neill Timberlake Eaton finds herself at the center of a power struggle. Okay. The cute, the cute girl from the bar is now the center of a power struggle between the Calhoun camp who many, by the way, are championing uh, John C. Calhoun to become the next president. So they're saying, yeah, we're not even going to get – Jackson's only going to do one term. We're going to get you know, John C. Calhoun in there. This is going to be what we use to kind of you know, push that forward. This is our momentum changer right here. This is our, quote, October surprise, to borrow from a political science term. But anyway, there's infighting inside of the cabinet over here. The power struggle is, again, between the Calhoun folks where there's the political ostracization uh, of Peggy and the Eatons. Uh, you know, her husband, obviously, the secretary of war is not getting any house guests. That's a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, and, and to the times, too, that um, normally the, the president would come in, he'd be sworn into office. And very soon after that, they would have this cabinet dinner where all the members of his cabinet and their wives and everybody else, big dinner. And there's a lot of interaction back and forth, get to know you, get to know who my team players are and everything else. And at that, finally, after I think 10 months, I mean, very, very um, um, long after his uh, inauguration, um, they finally do have this first cabinet meeting. And none of the wives show up. Dang. Okay, because, ladies. Because Peggy was going to be yeah. there. They're not coming to dinner. They refuse to sit at the uh, at the cabinet dinner with uh, with if Peggy's going to be there. So I mean, it, it it's a and all of those um, social parties and everything else. Because if I invite you to dinner, then you're going to have to invite me to dinner. It was always a reciprocal back and forth. Yeah. But there was a lot of shit that would be going on at these various dinner parties. It wasn't just sitting down and having dinner. There was a yeah. lot of politics going on. I mean, you couldn't play golf just yet, right? So <laughs> shit couldn't happen on the golf course. Things would happen at these various uh, social events. And it, it definitely handicapped uh, Jackson and his whole administration early on that, you know, we can't we can't get past this whole uh, – this whole Peggy uh, Eaton scandal. As a matter of fact, I think one of uh, was Martin Van Buren. Did you get into that, Kev? I'm about to. Oh, I'm sorry. You could, no, 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 no. We're, we're good. We're good. No, no, we ran this way. And by the way, my sister Carrie, who's a very cool person, when she had her formal wedding, um, she told me that I could bring because they had to have two weddings because of COVID, and um, they had an outdoor one uh, that was informal and a great, great day, and then they had a formal one. Um, which was that she asked me, she goes, uh, "You have a plus one if you want." And I, I sat there and I was like, "Well, listen." I'm pretty sure I can get Brooklyn Chase to come to this. And uh, <laughs> and she finally put her foot down. She goes, 
you know, I just don't really think I want you bringing a porn star to this. <laughs> and I, I, I texted her back. I was like, she won't wear red. Like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but that's I'm not saying that Peggy was a porn star or a harlot or a hoe or anything like that. I am saying that um, she was viewed as uh, beneath the, uh, the the ladies over here. So, again, she's at the center of this power struggle over here. And the infighting is getting really, really bad. Um, now, you wouldn't think that Peggy would be an issue over a thing such as tariffs, but here she is. She's affected because this is a back and forth now between the, uh, the the Calhoun side of the cabinet and the Jackson side of the cabinet. They can't agree on shit. You're supposed to be dealing with a two-party system where the – I'm just using it right now uh, off the top of my head – where Democrats undermine Republican incumbents and vice versa. That's what we think of it. Now this cabinet's actually fighting from within because they're both trying to figure out, well, who's going to be president next term because you have a split cabinet right now. It's not really a great thing over here. Calhoun is able to undermine a ton of Jackson's agenda, and almost any time that Jackson's position seemed to gain an upper hand, his enemies begin fanning the flames. Well, Peggy Eaton, she's really unfit to be married to a man in such a high position. It's really not um, – over in Europe, they're much more sophisticated than this. You know what I mean? Meanwhile, in Europe, they got fucking mistresses and shit. Right. But Yeah, and just by coinky think, the those who were adamantly opposed um, to Peggy – they weren't French. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were. They were very much uh, strong supporters of of Calhoun. So it was. Uh, is this a whole social norm thing that we're questioning, or is this a whole political thing that we're questioning? And and fluoride Calhoun, uh, John C. Calhoun's uh, wife, is uh, the league leader in uh, anti Peggy. So she seems to be doing her own campaign. Yeah, while this is going on. Oh, the, the the ladies are uh, right in. They're fighting the political war uh, shoulder to shoulder here with the men on this one. And um, now Jackson is able to rely on very very few people though. And uh, Martin Van Buren's going to come in there now. Van Buren gets um, some of the worst luck in American history, and also he's um, he's one of those presidents that actually gets a. Uh, uh, as historians look upon his administration, they sit there and they say, all right, this guy was hated as a president and blamed for a lot of shit that wasn't his fault. And he also has one of the worst quotes of all time, which is, uh, certainly the good Lord did not intend for us to uh, travel at such breakneck speeds. Uh, you think that was about motorcycles? No, it was about the cotton gin. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> not even kidding. It was about steamboats. <sighs> He thought it was too fast. He goes, this is dangerous. God would not want this. <laughs> to go so. 20 miles an hour? Oh, my God. There's no way we can do that. What are you trying to prove? <laughs> yeah, well, Martin Van Buren at this particular point is uh, Secretary of State under Jackson's administration. So, you know, your vice president is obviously not working with you. That's John C. Calhoun. Mm -hmm. um, but now your Secretary of State, Martin Van Buren, Just is, to give a power so. structure, too, for a second, because this is important. Like you just said, um, that's an excellent point, is that... Uh, you're number one. You're the president. Your VP is fucking undermining you with everything. That's yeah, but really he, bad. He would normally be assumed that he's the next exactly. to become president, right? Right. And then also here's the other thing. Now, number three is going to be secretary of state. Some people actually think that's the most influential job uh, in America. It's more influential than the president because all you do is deal with everybody else. Um, anyway, that being said, secretary of state is Martin Van Buren. He's actually – He's, he's kind of on your side over here. And right underneath that is going to be, you know, you can argue uh, Secretary of the Interior, but Secretary of War is going to be a thing too. So your Secretary of War and your VP are beefing. And in the middle is your Secretary of State, Martin Van Buren, who's kind of like, I'm, I'm the cooler head. I'm going to prevail here because, by the way, he's also – he's a widower. He's got no wife that's going to be sitting there and being bitchy with all the girls. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> that's, right. I really think that's a big part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that uh, – 
you know, it was Martin Van Buren who d- dubbed this whole situation as the Eaton malaria. <laughs> that uh, there was such a you know, malaria at that time. That's like that's like cancer type of a thing. You know, there was we had no way of uh, combating malaria and living in the swamp of Washington D.C. Uh, that that's that's. That's hitting home for a lot of people, right? But, Typhoid Peggy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> that poor girl. Um, now, interestingly, uh, Van Buren, like we said, is going to play it kind of down the – he doesn't even play it down the middle. He actually aligns himself with Peggy uh, or the Eaton camp, if you will, which Andrew Jackson's like, all right, this guy's got a set of balls on him. I can trust this guy. Van you know Buren's I mean? eating good today. That's a, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jackson, like we said, he relies on this guy and Van Buren's going to remain loyal, which comes in handy. Like I said, current secretary of state – I won't give away the end of that story yet. Actually, that, that's a great final line, I think. Eaton, by the way, as Secretary of War, is seemingly being bested by uh, Calhoun at almost every turn here. His wife and the posse of mean girls or the petticoats are kind of kicking um, – You know, they're able to kick that rumor up whenever they need to. And of course, how's that going to make your wife feel when she's like, oh, by the way, I'm uh, apparently everyone just thinks – the entire town thinks I'm a whore now. They write my name and my number on bathroom walls all over D.C. <laughs> took the petty and petticoat too seriously. Perfect. <laughs> um, now, until until that is, uh, Eaton sees an opportunity to, quote, layeth the smacketh down on his candy ass. <laughs> um, sometimes the best way to win, the best move is actually nothing. If you, you know, I, I my father taught me chess years ago and um I've tried playing chess against other people, and my buddy, like one of my best friends, Chris Buck, is a chess mastermind. And there'll be times when he just does nothing, and he's waiting for me to outsmart myself. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, folks, it happens every time. <laughs> uh, in 1818, okay, so this is years prior. This is before Jackson is in power here. Jackson had led an invasion into Florida that was considered very controversial. You want to talk about like an illegal war, an illegal invasion of Iraq, anything like that. Oh, we don't do that anymore though. Exactly. Right. So that's what I'm saying. It's a lame way to explain it, but there are time constraints here, right? Chris and Paige have things to do today. I want to, <laughs> see, I want to see the four o'clock games. Yeah, let's not do the Seminole War just yet. <laughs> but uh, Calhoun uh, asks Eaton, he goes, hey, would you mind um, – would you mind asking Jackson if he'll let me publish those letters I wrote to him during the time frame of the Seminole War here? Because um, the letters publication would actually help quell a rumor that Calhoun was one of the people that wanted Jackson punished for the invasion. So if you're going to win the presidency here, you have to have your supporters. But it's also good to maybe not completely alienate everybody on the other side. So it's definitely a political move here, but also it can kind of quell some of the tension between Calhoun and Jackson because Jackson's getting angry at him. It's uh, it's a it's a pack of matches angry so far. This is what pours the gasoline on. So um, anyway, he asks him, he goes, uh, this is Calhoun again asking Eaton, would you let, you know, find out from Jackson if he'll let me publish these letters? And Eaton just uh, goes, says nothing, does nothing, moves on, right? And he goes, oh, I mean, he would have told me if he didn't want me to publish them. So uh, anyway, I'm going to publish these letters. Calhoun publishes the letters and it now, number one, twofold. Makes it look like he's trying to separate himself, uh, you know, from an attempted conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Makes him turn back. Well, I had nothing to do. I was against this back then, guy, because it's starting to look bad on the Jackson. I mean, it was never me. It was everybody else. My hands are clean here, folks. So that's making him look like a real douchebag, for lack of a better term. He's looking like a douchebag. And uh, it's it's definitely lowering his public opinion, especially also in D.C., where they're like, why would you do this? This is such a dumb move. And then on top of that, that little pack of matches I said that was on fire of rage for Andrew Jackson mm-hmm. has now been covered 
in gasoline because Jackson just goes, you published the letters? <laughs> yeah. So he goes absolutely nuts about this area and it winds up making Calhoun look like an opportunist trying to plan his next run for the presidency instead of doing the jobs he'd been elected to do in the past. So I'm not exaggerating here, but the aftermath of what's going to happen here in this – and LP, I think you're going to have some info for me on this one. We are wrapping up, folks. Um, the aftermath of this – what is known again as the Petticoat Affair here, all over a pretty girl. Helen of Troy had the face that launched a thousand ships. Brooklyn Chase had a face that launched a thousand well, I, sorry, <laughs> I, I, sorry, automatic. I, I stopped myself. I stopped myself. Chris Mad said it, not me. <sighs> Seaman, there Wait. we go. There it is. There it is. There it is. Gotcha. Coming together. Gotcha. Ships, semen, it's all the same. Yeah. <laughs> Loads of ships. <laughs> sure, what, what the kids call it that now. Sorry, Sunquist family. Oh, <laughs> I'm so no, sorry. No, actually, because Chris is great and well-behaved, um, and uh, uh, Kahuna's actually got the biggest trash mouth on the show. That firmly belongs to me today, folks, so it's my fault. Um, but uh, again, it is uh, PBS for, uh, it, it, what was it, what we get called? NPR with F-bombs was one of our early <laughs> Yep. Early oh, descriptors, God. right? Yeah. Yep. Anyhow, I'm not exaggerating. The aftermath of this is essentially uh, a mixture of a Call of Duty chat room. Fuck you, motherfucker. I'll kill you. <laughs> uh, and then a Twitter war. Imagine Twitter wars, just people going off at each other nonstop. Well, that wouldn't happen if you were. And then a little bit of world star hip hop coming in. There. Oh, yeah. There's it. You're getting ready. You're seeing people taking their earrings off. It's just they're tucking. <laughs> it, it's go time. Hold right? my coat. Exactly. <laughs> Hold this petticoat. So, I'm taking this. <laughs> Give me my fighting cup. <laughs> so, but it's nuts. Uh, essentially, what a lot of it boils down to is there's demands for duels. There's threats of personal harm. There's people writing letters back and forth. One guy, I believe one of the letters written is, meet me at this time for a duel here. Um, and the person just goes, um, I'm not interested in dueling with somebody of such a lowly stature as you kind no. of a thing. Like you're not even good enough to duel with. And by the way, dueling was supposed to be how honorable men handled their. He goes, I don't respect you enough to duel you. Like you're not Burn. good enough. Yeah, you're right. not good enough to fight me, UFC fighter. Because uh -huh. you're not even in my way. I, you don't deserve the big payday that's going to come from me giving you a UFC fight. You're not worth the bullet. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Dirty. So it's a Twitter war going on. Yeah, but a lot then of the other the comeback to that was like you're, you're chicken shit. That's why you don't want to face me in a duel, right? So I mean, it was it. it it was it was bad. It was very contentious as being the polite way. One letter that came out, Eaton got so pissed off, he wrote a letter to a couple of other cabinet members. And he wrote, uh, he goes, uh, I cannot believe you would leak these things about your negative opinion of my wife uh, to the paper. I cannot believe you would leak the, the, those things that said terrible things about my wife. And um, the reply back was, I'm not the one who leaked them, but it's all true. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a goes, I didn't. I didn't tell the newspaper, but she, your wife's piece of shit. So <laughs> anyway, it gets so, so bad. Here's how the aftermath winds up breaking down over here. And I think a lot of this is – and tell me if this is a good analogy, Dad. I think it is. It's essentially two guys at a Jersey Shore bar who <laughs> are getting loud enough with each other on purpose and, and for the sole purpose of knowing that the bouncer is going to be there to break it up before they can <laughs> – There you go. There you go. Um, you talking to me exactly. and nobody else here. <laughs> <Pretty much that. laughs> Side note for 10 seconds, just because it was hilarious. Um, I, I did not have any shows this week and it was really nice. I went out with a, a, a good buddy of mine um, that I work with. 
Uh, and we wound up at a bar across the street from a, a club I'm banned from in Point Pleasant, New Jersey. But I love the staff there. I love the comics there. Uh, just a disagreement with ownership. It's all good. But um, anyway, we're hanging out at uh, uh, you know the oh, bar across the street. Nearby. Yeah. Neighborhood. And um, all of a sudden, somebody just goes, hey, isn't that Brett Ernst? And it was Brett Ernst, who is uh, Cousin Louie on Cobra Kai. Whoa. And, and okay. my buddy who doesn't, you know, he knows I do comedy, but he doesn't know how plugged in I am. I just walk over to him and, uh, and I was like, Brett, what's up? And he goes, KP, fucking Brett. <laughs> and so now, and then people at the bar trying to figure out, it, people are coming up to him taking pictures. And, so, and I bring that up because Brett's the ultimate Jersey guy. And that's why I, I, I love him, man. So just uh, great to see you, Brett. You're not going to listen to this, but I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll right. tell you I said it. There's a plug for no reason. Exactly. <laughs> no, I just got to tell people I'm famous sometimes. There you go. They keep believing you it. need to know. Yeah, I know. Right. Exactly. That's where the headline dates keep coming from. <laughs> he opens for Bobby Kelly. <laughs> I think Colin Quinn's his godfather. We <laughs> um, can start those rumors. Uh, there's, uh, I'm telling you, I get weird questions sometimes about stuff. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, back to this whole thing here. Um, I'm not exaggerating. That's the aftermath. It's a lot of fighting. But here, yet again, who's going to be the cooler head that prevails, Dad? Martin Van Buren. Martin Van Buren. All right, because what's the best move? All right, he's almost, oh, um, uh, he's not really like this, but I'm going to say he's almost like Michael Corleone in this one, where it's, uh, you know, Santino is going to be a wartime Don, right? But Michael, Michael was calculated. He sat there. He goes, oh, we're going to be calm. We're going to want to wait for them to make their move. Then we're going to do this. Van Buren just goes, you know what I'm going to do that solves this whole problem? Uh, I'm going to remove myself from the equation because if I resign as Secretary of State, Jackson can reorganize his entire cabinet. So he steps down. So now there's a, yeah, a he, power vacuum. And he got eaten he got eaten to uh, go along with that. So two key members of your of your cabinet agree to resign which and then this is getting now towards the end of Jackson's first uh, term in office. So he's looking, you know, Jackson's looking to uh, run again type of thing, but Nothing was able to get done really in his first uh, term of office because his cabinet was so dysfunctional over this whole Peggy Eaton thing. Um, at least that was the uh, that was what, what was being played in the in the papers and the, the rumor mills. So yeah, that he get, Martin Van Buren comes up with the, he's he's the the ultimate chess player here that he's coming up with this idea. Well, if I resign and Eaton resign, then you get a chance to reorganize your entire cabinet. And bring in people who are firmly in I'll do it, Pop. camp. I want a gun planted there by someone we trust. That's we'll right, meet somewhere right. off territory. I'll I don't disappear want to him Italy for a out while. Of the bathroom holding his dick. <laughs> <laughs> right. If so, they're playing blackjack together, he's the one who's taken the extra king, so oh, totally. he can totally get the twenty-one. Oh, it, it's a it's a mastermind move here, and it works too. So you get these two, and then what does Jackson do? He goes, "Hey, Eaton's gone. You know, uh, Van Buren's gone." I want resignations from everybody who is anti-Eaton. Everybody agrees except for the postmaster general because he's probably just like, I just want to get the mail out. <laughs> but anyway, um, it, it gets very interesting here too because uh, almost all oblige and do resign here. Now, Eaton himself will actually receive other appointments that get this, take him out of Washington, D.C. His wife's unfit for D.C. life, right? She's not uh, She's not approved. She's not of a, a, a worthy uh, background, right? So – and also, uh, their marriage might have started off in a sex scandal. These could be immoral, sex-driven people. They could be maniacs. Um, so, ironically, they wind up sending him to 
one of the places where sex scandals are, uh, well, people go to have them, people go to <laughs> uh, start them, people who are there have them, and it's almost just not even looked down upon. Utah. Close. Oh. <laughs> close, close. Mormon War was a great one, by the way, those who got a chance to listen to that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you, just because I love you, Chris Mad. Um, you got to uh, put yourself in the shoes of John Eaton. You got this this hot friggin' wife, right? But she's no good in D.C., can't bring her out anywhere. So you're going to take a government position now where you can just enjoy your gorgeous wife and no one can judge you anymore. And it's going to be a little bit warmer climate. It's... Are we going to Florida? You know we are, buddy. <gasps> you know we are. <laughs> Side splitters, Tampa, Wesley Chapel, KP Burke, Sunday. <laughs> uh, well, that was smooth transition. But huh? uh, yeah, so he winds up becoming the uh, uh, territorial governor of Florida because Florida is not officially yeah. a state yet. So that's where he does wind up going. They also wind up going over to Spain for a little while too. And uh, let me tell you again, echoing back to Dan Sickles, Dan Sickles threw some dick around over in Spain. So these are romantic, beautiful places to take the girl you're in love with, especially when. You two have your love persevere over everyone else judging you on the outside. You know what I mean? Well, they're judging you in Spanish over in Florida at that point in time, so they don't understand. <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, the locals so lovely. Smile and nod. I th they all have mistresses, too, anyway, so it wasn't even a – but these guys, they're, they're legit married. Their marriage uh, uh, continues and perseveres over here. Now, uh, Jackson hopes – he hopes to reward Van Buren by making him minister to England. This is going to be England's our biggest – are they our friend yet? We got some icy hot really – Andrew Jackson also did fight a war against them in 1812 uh, after we already freed ourselves from – the relationship is starting to warm up a little bit. It's not quite the special relationship yet, yeah, it's, but it's starting to get better. Yeah, they, they burned Washington. So, I mean, uh, you know, that's in everybody's uh, recent memory too. So Everyone gets one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, uh, Great it's Britain important is, uh, is a, a, key, uh, a key post. I, th I want to say, and I, I might be wrong, and someone correct me on this one, and uh, I have a shout-out I have to give to uh, Robert Allen Hall in a second, too, because uh, he lives in St. Louis, um, loves St. Louis, says it's a great place. But our Lent Mansion episode, we mentioned St. Louis pizza, and he goes, it's fucking garbage. <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, backed me up on that. Thank you, Robert. I love you, buddy. All right. Um, I hope you're doing comedy still. You're one of the funny ones. But anyway, um, I say all of that to say this. Um this is how petty, putting the petty in petty coat mm -hmm. to go back to what you're saying here. Um, I believe that this position of minister to England is a position that was once held by John Adams. This is a very prominent position over here. And it goes up to a vote and uh, it's going to be Van Buren. Everybody knows it's right. This is backed by the president, Andrew Jackson. And guess who has the tie-breaking vote that strikes down sending cool-headed Martin Van Buren, the good guy, the guy who's the right man for the job, to be minister to England? John C. Calhoun. Yeah. He goes when, at, Of course. When Jackson reorganized his cabinet, again, Calhoun was the vice president, so he's no longer in the cabinet. He's gone. He's out. He goes back to the Senate. And now this whole thing has to be, um, you know, Congress approved by the, for the appointment to uh, minister to Great Britain. And it comes down to a tie-breaking vote. Well, who's going to break the tie? But... Uh, um, John C. Calhoun, and here's yes. the, the ultimate F.U. My wife's name is Flo, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, no. Constantly, constant suffering. <laughs> so, and literally, I believe what he, he, want, he wanted to kill it dead. He almost delighted in this to the fact. 
Um, so it's a vengeful Calhoun. And this, like many of uh, Calhoun's other moves, is uh, it's actually going to backfire on him because Americans and even, you know, not, Americans, human beings, even politicians are starting to notice that uh, Martin Van Buren's actually a pretty good guy. And he's just the victim of these petty politics. I mean, the guy's a widower. He actually doesn't get involved in the fracas. He resigns. He tried to get away from it. He fixed he things. He tried to fix things, yeah. Then we try to put him in a good position of power where he can really use some of that cool-headed stuff to have negotiations with the world's biggest superpower at the time. We're, we're thinking – and then boom, he gets struck down by a guy who's pissed at him because his wife didn't like the other guy's wife and blah, blah, blah. So it actually sets it up another time right now. So Jackson's going to be able to uh, uh, retain office. He uh, he has a second term. And uh, who does he have as his vice president, Dad? Uh, I don't know. I believe it's Martin Van Buren. Someone correct me on that if I'm wrong. How oh, yeah. I think he, he did He did come back to Van Buren. He does. He brings in Van Buren. And by the way, now Van Buren, as he's the vice president over here, and again, I'm, stop me. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give myself an out over here. Regardless, Calhoun's move, Calhoun's move is going to uh, fuck up to the point where Calhoun's backfires. His own opinion, like the people that, uh, in D.C. that are holding opinions of him, think so little of him now. And they think so strongly of Martin Van Buren. Van Buren winds up becoming exactly what Andrew Jackson was at the very beginning of this episode, which is the president in waiting. Yeah, I got to I got to throw this in here because I thought it was. It oh, was, please it do. Was, and then I got a good line at the it end. It was really gold that when Van Buren and Eaton agreed that, you know, probably the best thing for Jackson's cabinet is for us to resign which would give Andy the opportunity to reorganize his cabinet for the second uh, for the second administration, if you will. Um, <laughs> the, the, the season during that time frame when they all these guys were either resigned or were thrown out. Uh, one of the season's most popular toasts at the bar kind of a thing is to the next cabinet. May they all be bachelors or leave their wives at home. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. Um, I'll tell you, if you search uh, Andrew Jackson's uh, vice president, it'll pop up as two because you'll have John C. Calhoun and then I believe Van Buren comes in. And if I'm wrong on that one, I've been wrong my entire life on that one. <laughs> so that being said, uh, Van Buren will wind up becoming the eighth president of the United States, largely thanks to a pretty little barmaid who spoke her mind a little bit too much. If you want to talk about uh, women not having a place in history early on or uh, – and that's where I do get annoyed. I, I won't lie. You, you know some of my opinions on uh, on modern uh, waves of feminism where you're just like, uh, come on. <laughs> and a lot of my annoyances with it is that they don't know their own history, that um, you want to talk about women being powerful. Um, do you – oh, you, do you have it? Did you pull it up? Yeah. Yeah. It was, right? Yes. Yeah. It's goddamn right it was. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So it was John C. Calhoun, and then Calhoun loses his position, and then he runs again. And he puts Martin Van Buren in. Van Buren is now the president in waiting over here. And now my whole thing I was trying to say is that uh, people want to talk – so at the time when women don't have the right to vote, um, you have an outspoken woman here in, uh, in, in you know Peggy, and she's able to literally um, by her own demeanor, personality, and life – legitimately impacts not one but two american presidencies right, and the whole political uh, party system if you will too yeah. that when you Fairly think about that i mean she's mm -hmm. she split the, <laughs> the, the the democrats uh completely apart because you know at that time it was really a whole regional type of a thing that Carefully, you don't tread into next week's. Uh, <laughs> Calhoun had a lot of uh, strong supporters from his region of the United States. I and mean, 
you know, that got all shot to shit because he uh, tried to play the, the whole petticoat. He was a little a little too petty or letting his wife be in a little too petty um, as as an influencer in, into the politics. Well, that was uh, that part was awesome. And I hope you guys enjoyed that story. We're going to uh, work on something with the Patreon. We're going to change some stuff around here. I want to welcome everybody who just joined the Patreon. I also want to say uh, to anybody who left, uh, I, I get it. I get it. Maybe you didn't have the money this week. Maybe we didn't do enough for you. Give us a chance. We're going to win you back. We're uh, we're back in action over here. Uh, please come see me do stand-up live. Please go see a great band called uh, Serious Matters, okay, who I believe has some pretty awesome content coming out soon, as long as we get him out of here in time to do his work. <laughs> <laughs> and also check out a podcast called Ghosted with uh, Paige and Chris, which is uh, hosted by uh, the lovely Paige and, and the aforementioned Chris. So, uh, LP, anything you want to say on the way out? I just got to close out. With, uh, <laughs> I, I know I was waiting for for you to cue me on on uh, before you went into your next uh, gig, but uh, I got to clue the people in as to what happened to uh, Miss Peggy. And you know what? That's actually a great here. thing because that's going to be questions that I get. Um, she and uh, Mr. John Eaton, and it's interesting too. I found that she married John Timberlake, and then she married John Eaton. She was very familiar with her, John. Oh, he just wrote that and wanted to get it in. <laughs> no, but um, three, John Eaton does pass away, predeceases uh, Peggy. And then three years after the death of her second husband, John Eaton, Margaret Eaton married Antonio Bucciagiani. And I, have, I apologize to all our Italian listeners there because I probably just murdered that name. <laughs> But uh, Antonio, yeah, he uh, she was fifty nine and he was in his mid twenties, so she did the oh, she girl, did the, the you role the, re uh, the, the role reverse. Way yeah. to go! Yeah, but it gets better. He's an Italian music and uh, music teacher and dancing master, and actually she um, ran away with him uh, because he happened to be the dancing instructor and the music instructor to our 17-year-old granddaughter. <laughs> oh! Peggy! Oh. Yeah, so... Hang on, she was a hoe the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> I've been defending this woman's uh, honor for an hour. Yeah, and then, uh, I don't know, for, for those if you're rooting for Peggy or against Peggy, um, um, she did... Uh, actually, she marries uh, uh, this Italian guy and... Then he skips out on her after, I think, seven years of marriage. He skips out on her and takes all her money. So she's really left penniless. And in the end, uh, she dies in poverty in Washington, D.C. Um, she was to the swamp. Yeah. She's, she's, <laughs> she's uh, Born and raised. warm food in the, in the, in the swamp. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn. Wow. Oh. But I thought it was pretty fitting that, uh, you know. We were laughing a minute ago, Dad. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> there was what joy in this room. Yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> good for Peggy. She's 59 and he's, uh, what I say, mid-20, so. Yeah, so. That, uh, that's not bad, right? No, that's good. I, I, what was the, Larry the Cable Guy had a great joke about that. I know, uh, by the way, I think he gets underrated sometimes. He has to dumb it down for some people uh, to keep the TV money. But uh, every now and then he fires off a good one. It was uh when Mick Jagger got married to his next wife or something like that, it was like, let's say the difference was um, Mick was 59 and like the girl was 19. And he goes, and I called up my math teacher and I said, I told you 59 goes into 19. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that being said, that was a very, very pretty girl um, who just, you know, uh, was slinging beers over at a tavern and playing a piano and wound up, like I said, legitimately affecting American policy over the extension of two presidencies. 
So that, I want to say thank you again to both of our guests over here, and thank you to LP, making me love history. Life is good. Uh, we're going to go watch some 4 o'clock games here, and uh, that was the Petticoat Affair, American Loser. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. An American loser the day I was born. <laughs>